Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Every Square Inch. I am Robert Cunningham, the Director of Christ for Kentucky, and this podcast is the uh, public Christian thought ministry of Christ for Kentucky. I've been using the podcast to unpack the meaning, mission, philosophy, and so forth of our organization, but this week will be a slight detour from that. We will return to that discussion next week, but how can the podcast ministry of Christ for Kentucky not address the fact that the world is talking about Christ's work in Kentucky as we speak? For those who do not know, what is being labeled a revival began uh, last week, just 20, 25 minutes down the road from me. And as of this recording, it is still going strong. Let me start with a little bit of background behind that. Um, Asbury University and Asbury Theological Seminary are two very uh, significant Christian institutions here in Kentucky. My wife is actually a graduate of Asbury Seminary uh, with her counseling degree. Um, Both the university and the seminary are evangelical schools from the Wesleyan tradition. Now, I'm ordained in uh, the Presbyterian tradition, which finds its roots in Calvin. And because John Calvin and John Wesley espouse different views on the nature of Christian salvation, not the core tenets of salvation, but more how salvation comes about in the life of a Christian— Because of those disagreements, the uh, Calvin and Wesley traditions tend to be pitted against each other in ways I personally believe are unfair and unhelpful. Personally, I'm a huge fan of Asbury and proud that they are housed here in central Kentucky. And from every encounter I've had with friends at Asbury, they likewise share an admiration for my work in Kentucky. We are friends and partners in our mutual desire to see God's kingdom come and will be done in Kentucky as it is in heaven. And so the only reason I note our theological differences is for everyone to understand the significance of what transpired uh, pertaining to me specifically. So in 1970, there was a legitimate revival uh, that took place at Asbury. And to this day, I hear uh, stories of its fruit. I, I think they even made a documentary about it that you can find online. Well, this past Wednesday, uh, nearly at the exact same time I'm recording this podcast, Asbury students gathered for a seemingly routine chapel service, and it would appear the same thing that happened in the 70s has emerged from that service as well. Um, By by the way, as a funny aside, I guess you could say funny, I was scheduled to be on Asbury's campus that day for some meetings and was invited by Zach, who ended up... Uh, speaking at the chapel service to come to chapel, but I had to reschedule my visit to campus, couldn't be there. So I don't know what it says about me that I didn't show up and revival breaks out. I I don't know how to interpret that, uh, but that's what happened. And so so, so, so what transpired is they meet for chapel, and chapel just doesn't stop. Zach preached from Romans 12, where uh, Paul outlines the radical nature of Christian love, And he told the students that he hoped the passage would uh, be like an itchy sweater, something that nags at you and forces you to deal with before you can tend to anything else, essentially. And his um, admonition was to linger until you experience the love of God, which would then empower you to love others as Romans 12 demands. And that's what happened. 
They lingered. They wrestled with God seeking his favor and love and simply didn't stop. Completely unplanned, they keep praying, keep worshiping, keep crying out to God all through the night, and then more and more continue to join them. And before you know it, there's a full chapel in perpetual worship day and night for going on a week now. Well, news starts to spread, and I've suddenly got people reaching out to me within our uh, community, but honestly, all over the country, and even some friends internationally, specifically wanting my opinion on what's transpiring. And there's a reason why. Um, as I said, I'm I'm in, ordained in the Presbyterian, the Reformed Presbyterian tradition. The church I pastored here in Lexington uh, for many years, um, and I still attend, is a uh, it's a big steeple, organ, choir, robes, liturgical order. You get the picture, and the picture is not necessarily what comes to mind when you think of revival. Now, I find our worship incredibly rich, powerful, moving. I was actually weeping this past Sunday, but I get the stereotype. So that, combined with the fact that I'm admittedly a guy who values thoughtfulness and theological precision, and I've also been critical of emotional manipulation that can um, be harmful within evangelicalism, I suppose you add all these things up and I'm the local pastor that revival skeptics, skeptics might be too strong of a word, but questioning people turn to with well-meaning questions about what is unfolding at Asbury. Okay, fair enough. Although I will say that I've also been critical of my tradition's obsession with the cognition and its deficiencies to bring about change. I have repeatedly uh, said that we are compelled more by our desires than our ideas. So I like emotions, big fan, big fan of emotions, but I get it. I'm a PCA pastor. It is what it is. And we aren't necessarily known by our revivals. So I think people were essentially saying that if I endorse this as a legitimate thing, it would provide a level of credibility that they were looking for, honestly hoping for. Well, I'm not going to speak to something I haven't witnessed, and candidly, I was personally genuinely intrigued. So after church this past Sunday, my family drove over to sit in on the worship, and I must admit what I experienced was uh, legitimate and powerful. I shared the reasons why in a now uh, deleted Twitter thread, more on that in a moment, but what I witnessed, and yes, what I experienced, had all the markings of something unique. I'm distancing myself from the language of revival for reasons I'm going to explain in a moment. But yes, it did feel like I was on holy ground. And there was a palpable experience of God's presence and an outpouring of both his conviction and love. And most significant for me were the things I outlined in that Twitter thread that I ended up deleting. But let me share them again here. Um, part of the reason I deleted threads because Twitter is a terrible place for thoughtfulness and nuance. And I did want the ability to provide that on the podcast. So let me in a more thoughtful way um, explain why I was so encouraged by what I witnessed and experienced. First, I think the way in which this emerged is very significant. It was unplanned. This wasn't the classic revival meeting that 
some people grew up with in the church. You know, like this weekend we're hosting a revival as if to say we've made plans for the Holy Spirit to show up on Friday between 7 and 9. And nor was this, um, you know, big conference thing that my generation grew up attending with talented musicians and celebrity preachers and a ton of hype. It was a routine, mundane college chapel service that gave birth to this. And that fits with John 3, where Jesus compares the work of the Holy Spirit to the wind, which we cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. We cannot control the sovereign spirit of God. He's not at the mercy of our plans. We are at the mercy of his. Second, was the weightiness of the gathering. I was surprised and encouraged by the uh, somberness and solemnity of the gathering. The fear of the Lord was there in an appropriate way. When we were finding our seats, which weren't easy to find, I noticed how careful and quiet we were intuitively being, even my six-year-old, because there was this sense of not wanting to disturb the gravity of the moment. And this fits with what we see in Scripture when God does visit with his presence. It's not a party. It's take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. And yet that fear of the Lord was accompanied by what I can only explain as a counterintuitive joy, weighty tears of joy were everywhere in that room, including flowing from both my wife and me. And that fits as well, because the first thing that God who causes us to tremble in his presence says to us is, fear not. So there's a weightiness that um, was unmistakable to the gathering. Third, the scriptures and prayer and most of all Jesus were at the center of the focus. So the scriptures, both the reading and preaching, uh, were what guided the gathering. At one point, they invited students to come forward, not to share their words, but God's word. Simply read a passage of scripture that was significant to them, and then uh, they would say, this is the word of the Lord, and everyone there would respond, we believe it, which I thought was beautiful. Um, So it was just student after student reading the Bible. And there was a lot of prayer, public prayer, uh, prayers taking place all over the room, people available to pray with anyone who needed prayer. The entire assembly was just surrounded in solemn prayers. And then most of all, Christ was exalted. When we talk about uh, the manifestation of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, these types of things, there is so much debate over what that means. What does that look like and so forth? Well, biblically, it's it's easy to answer that question with John 16, where Jesus explicitly says that the Spirit will glorify me. The Spirit has been described as the shy person of the Trinity. He loves to make Jesus famous. He loves for Jesus to get all the glory. That is his work on earth, to magnify the name of Jesus. And that's what I witness. It wasn't about the Spirit or any experience of the Spirit. It was all about Jesus in that place. Fourth, what I witnessed I have described as an orderly openness to the work of the Lord. So yes, there was absolutely spontaneity. Um, Yes, they were not following a formalized liturgy. It was a fluid gathering, uh, prayerfully responding to what God was doing in their midst. 
But all of this was done in an um, orderly, discernible, non-chaotic way. It just seemed to strike that balance that Paul commends in 1 Corinthians 14, that everything should be done decently and orderly because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And that's what I witnessed. There was no chaos and confusion, but a peculiar peace within the gathering. And then finally, and most encouragingly, honestly, was the profound conviction and repentance and conversions that were taking place. True awakenings are not measured by sensation, but by transformation. And that is happening down the road, particularly, and I think this itself is a good sign, among the student body at Asbury. One teenager from our church went to uh, join the worship and what she said about her experience is incredibly telling and encouraging. She didn't talk about the worship, the emotions, the preaching, or anything like that. She said, I have never seen so much conviction over sin. A teenager said that, and that's what's happening. I'll share some stories in a general way uh, so as to not identify anyone. One young lady who had been burned by past experiences with churches undergone a stereotypical deconversion of faith and hadn't been to church in years, said that she felt unexplainedly drawn to the gathering. She walked in nervous and a bit triggered, but said what she experienced was unlike any Christian experience of the past. She couldn't even really articulate the difference, but, but it felt safe, loving. I think the word she used was, was it felt sweet, which I think is a beautiful way to put it. And she said she was doing something she never thought she would do again, which was open herself up once again to Jesus in her life. Another student uh, was not a Christian. He was surrounded by a lot of Christians on campus, but it just wasn't his thing. And a guy who had befriended him and had been praying for him saw that um, he was actually there participating in worship. And so he came up to him and said, hey, what's going on? And the student said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going on or what I believe, but I want to know God. So these are just a couple stories of just countless stories that are taking place on campus. And so I left very, very encouraged. And then I spoke to those in leadership and became even more encouraged. I just want everyone to know that I know several of the core leadership team that is on the ground doing their best to lead and steward this movement. I trust them. I trust their humility, their godliness, their wisdom, their thoughtfulness. The right people are in place to lead whatever it is God is doing there. And maybe it would help to share some behind-the-scenes stuff with some of you for your own encouragement. When it became obvious that something was happening and there was uh, no discernible end in sight, they formed a core group of leadership. None of them want to be named, but in that group are scholars and pastors and gifted administrators, just a diverse group of, of gifted and trained men and women, one of whom is an elder at our church. So PCA folks listening in, there's a PCA elder in the core leadership of this movement at Asbury. And that leadership core meets regularly throughout the day. And what they did when this all started taking off is they just got a whiteboard out and formed different teams a consecration team that is just praying um, around the clock, a logistics team that is running all things logistics, a host team that is thinking through hospitality. Uh, when we walked into the chapel, not in the chapel itself, but just 
in that uh, front foyer. There was, you know, uh, there was pizza and and water and and things like this. Um, just a spirit of hospitality to those who are coming, and and the nature of that leadership, the the ethos of that leadership, I think is just so beautiful. One of them told me through tears that they are just so concerned about ruining this with the sin of pride, and that their repeated theme is a commitment to radical humility, purity, and hunger. And I think most compelling is that while the whole world debates about whether this is a revival, they themselves are not using that language. It's not that they are scared of that word being used, but they said, we're just not going to label this. We're going to let God label this. The passage they keep returning to is John 9, where Jesus heals a blind man, and it turns into this inquisition of sorts. And after going back and forth about who healed him, how did he do it, what in the world is going on here, the man essentially just throws up his hands and says, look, I don't know, but this is what I know. I once was blind, and now I see. That's the approach they're taking. While the world debates on social media, they're just saying, I don't know what's going on, but I do know something has and is happening. This was the line that stuck out to me. Tell me this is not a beautiful line. We're not going to measure this. We're going to cherish this. I love that. And they are also very aware that this has gone viral and people are flooding um, from all over the country to Wilmore, Kentucky. (laughs) And they want to have open arms to guests, but they know that means that, of course, there are some bad faith characters with ulterior motives or exploitive motives that may come and try to co-opt this moment, um, you know, for exploit it for their own um, platforms or movements or whatever. And they are intentionally guarding against that. I talked to the person who was charged with that fun task. And I said, so you're like the revival bouncer. And he chuckled and said, I don't like that language. Don't use that language, although I suppose I just did. So sorry if you're listening. Um, But he said, you know, we do want to guard. We want to guard the integrity of what God is doing in our midst. And so for some of these reasons, I decided to take down my Twitter thread that went viral because I feared I was unwittingly not helping. That's not coming from them. They have told me my words and... um, Affirmation has meant a lot to them, but I just came to recognize that what's happening online is not what's happening on the ground, and my tweets were being used for online arguments. My tweets were being used to define this moment when Asbury leadership themselves are trying not to define it. My tweets were adding to the viral nature when they are really focused on stewarding a local awakening on their campus, and so I just deleted my tweets and chose instead to record this where I have the space and ability to be more thoughtful than I do on Twitter. So are we witnessing a revival in the state that I love so much? My answer is that that answer will come not in the days ahead, but the decades ahead. Revivals are determined not with foresight, but in hindsight. Will the flame that is burning 20 minutes down the road from me yield life for years to come? Will it yield countless conversions and untold repentance? Will the fate of the poor, outcast, addicted, widowed, and orphaned be changed? Will the social and moral order of our commonwealth undergo reformation? These are the questions to be asked when we ask the revival question. 
And those questions are answered not in 2023, but in 2033, 2043, dare I say 3023, when none of us are here, but our children's children's children will be reaping the bountiful harvest of seeds planted by lives of those resting in unvisited graves. This is how we ought to think of revival. And I am praying, oh, how I'm praying, let it be so, Lord. Merciful Lord, will you yet have mercy on the state that I love? All right, so those are my thoughts on Asbury. Uh, going on. I, one of my concerns is that this this is developing so much that this might end up being like a COVID take where we would, you know, we would we would speak to the moment and then the moment is completely different, you know, days later. Um, but as of now, a weekend, these are my thoughts. Um, we will pick up our previous discussion that we were having next week because what's transpiring at Asbury is actually a good segue into a discussion I want to have about our work here in Kentucky. The notion of revival is wonderful, certainly worthy of our prayers and longings. But the church's work in the world cannot, must not depend upon awakenings. We have a lot of work to do in the mundane, and we will be back next week to discuss that work on another episode of Every Square Inch. Mm-hmm.